0: Hey everyone, welcome to Parallel Leaders where we come alongside you and your organization by focusing on eight growth points that will address the obstacles that are holding you back. Those eight growth points again are the leader must grow, the leadership team must grow, the systems must grow, the numbers must grow, the finances must grow, the expectations must grow the facilities must grow and you must grow your culture if you focus on these eight it is inevitable of what you're leading it has to grow and will grow we promise you that today we're gonna go to a teaching on one of these growth points and I'd encourage you to download the student notes we provided for you at parallelleaders.com and feel free to take notes and reteach this content to your teams we give you permission to do that we encourage you to do that we want you to do that we want to come alongside you and grow what you are leading. Let's go right now to today's teaching. So as a pastor, uh, I get the privilege of going to lots of conferences and a lot of pastor gatherings. And when you get into the little pastor's lounge um, in between sessions and all that, the conversation typically goes to how's your church doing? How how, are you guys growing? And the conversation typically goes that way. And as a as a lead pastor, when I, I've been pastoring now for 25 years, as a lead pastor, there's oftentimes, it depends on the time of year I noticed as to when those conferences are, as to whether or not I was excited about the conversations I was gonna have in the pastor's lounge. And because if they were, the conference is in the summer, I was like, I don't wanna go in there because they're gonna ask me, is your church growing? And I'd be depressed because in the summertime, in Canada, churches, yeah, numbers, yeah, it's it's not. We're, are we growing? No. I don't even know if anyone's gonna come back. Like I, everybody's on holidays. It's 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 terrible. Then if you go, if the conference was around like Easter time, man, I'd be excited to get to the conference because I get to the conference and I'd be like, yeah, we are record attendance last Sunday. Like, like whatever it might be, and and I realize that when we have these conversations and as leaders, and the question is asked, is the church? growing, the the question that they're really asking is numerical growth. And there's so much more to growth in any organization than just the numbers in the seats. If you ask a business leader, you know, is your business growing? What you're really asking are, is your income up or your customers up? That gets a specific answer that we're looking for, but there's so much more to business and growth in business than just one number or one one part of it and over the the years of of leadership i've come to discover and process this through eight growth points or eight areas of growth that we need to focus on and this is for every single one of uh, you know your churches it's for every single one of your departments these rules work for business i've i've taught this to business leaders and they're like this this translates really well in, into business and when you begin to understand these eight growth points, it, what, it transformed my uh, leadership and my ability to, to lead. And when I began, and one of those growth points is numbers. And that's just one. And there's seasons where the numbers, like I said, in Canada, the numbers don't grow uh, in the summertime. But there's times are saying, well, I can't, no matter what I do, I can't get the numbers to grow in the church in the summertime. That's just a season. It's just like the seasons in farming. Like you don't, thank God, like all 12 months isn't harvest time. It would burn a farmer out. <laughs> but there are a season to plant and there's a season to harvest and there's a season to plow and there's a season to rest and there's all these different seasons within, within the farming community. But in the church world, we expect that there's going to be a constant growth. And in talking with, with pastors of some of the largest churches uh, around the world, not one of them has ever seen a trajectory. No matter what you read in the papers, like what you read about it, but not one of them has seen a trajectory where it's just a constant, steady growth. Every single church on the planet, no matter how much they're growing or not growing, the fastest-growing churches, the fastest-growing ministries, they all do this. And eventually, you just climb, you climb up. And if you get down, you get too down in in the lows, you're gonna you can be depressed and you can quit and you can resign. You get too high with the highs, you can say and think that that everything, there's no problems. Everything is so good, like everything is perfect. You don't fix things. And that's, that, that can be a problem as deadly as getting too low with the lows. So we need to understand these growth points. And what I've done is I've taken these growth points. I've, I used to put them on my desk. Now they're just by, by memory. Um, but I used to write these eight growth points on, on my desk and I would constantly evaluate and going, what season are we in? And what area do we need to grow now and what is our weakest link, and how do we grow that now? So let me give you the, the growth points, the eight growth points, and then we'll we'll just have a discussion around that. Uh, the first one is the first one is the, the number one is the leader has to grow. Okay, the leader must grow. John Maxwell, you know, famously wrote, um, you know, years and years ago that everything rises and falls on leadership. And to be honest, when I first read that 20 some years ago, I wasn't sure that I believed him. Like I don't, every, I don't believe everything I read. I don't care who it is or what their everyday is. Like, I, I question everything, and I want to question everything, and I encourage you to question everything. We've got to get our culture back to questioning things, right? But, you know, especially what you're reading. But we, I wanted to question everything. And so when he said, everything rises and falls in leadership, I was like, that's a very, very broad statement. Everything is a big, big word. Like, everything rises and falls in leadership. I was like, that's not true. Because there's other things, and I'm trying to think and pull it through, that, you know, that not everything rises and falls in leadership. But it, in the, you know studying and trying to poke holes in it, I've discovered that everything rises and falls in leadership. <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's true, like there's circumstances, we can say, well, circumstances can determine, you know, the, tr- the growth of a church or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but leaders can overcome circumstances and some churches can be devastated by circumstances and other churches can project, you know, can, can exponentially grow. You look in the, in the 30s with the Great Depression. Yeah, a lot of people went broke and there's it was depression and the economy went like this, but there was more millionaires made in the 30s because like, everything rises and falls on leadership. Leadership just kind of eats problems for breakfast. That's what leadership does, right? So everything rises and falls on leadership. When it comes to the church, one of the greatest lessons that I learned as a, as a pastor and as a leader and we started pastoring when I was uh, 23 and, and I didn't know a lot, like I was, I would probably go back and not do that again, but I made a lot of mistakes and, and one of the biggest lessons that I learned was when I read it in John Maxwell's book, uh, 21 Laws of, of Leadership. The law of the lid is, hit me right between the eyes. And if you're not familiar with that, and if you haven't read that book from John Maxwell, that is a must uh, to put on your list. But the law of the lid is basically how Maxwell described it is, is that you have, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself as a leader? And if you would say, well, I'm a, you know, five out of 10, or I'm an 8 out of 10, whatever it might be. Uh, he said, if you look around the department you're leading, the church you're leading, the business you're leading, he says, you will, you know, and you can evaluate how would the people that you're leading, how would you rate their average leadership? And so I did this, and I thought, I'm, I'm in my 20s feeling pretty confident um, you know, being a lead pastor already, you know, thinking I'm I'm good. So I must be, I must be like, I don't know everything. So I was like, maybe I must be a six or a seven at least. You know, I've got to be up there. And then he says, look around your your church or what you're leading and rate them. And so I looked around my church and most of my church at that time was, was broke, uh, unemployed. Um, you know, we are doing a lot of like, you know, Marriage problems, like, like just a, a messy, messy church, like the vast majority, small church, but pretty much everybody was in that state. And I went, oh, how would you rate the people you're leading? I was like, three? And then he says, he says that, you know, how you rate the people that you're, you're leading is you're probably, if I rate them a three, he says you're probably a four. Because you can only lead Uh, people, you you can't, if you're a four to ten leader, you're not going to be able to to keep and retain fives. You're not going to attract them, you're not going to keep them, you're not going to keep anything above. You're only going to be able to attract and keep that. So what what is below your level of leadership? Which is an amazing lesson when you think about it. Because I looked at that and I said, okay, if that is true... I need to raise my level of leadership and what would happen. And that's when I started, uh, you know, reading a book a week, listening to daily podcast. That's when I began that habit. And I went with the habit of I'm going to uh, elevate my level of leadership. And what's amazing is that within, you know, a year to 18 months after that, I looked around my church and I had business owners. I had a professional NFL player actively playing in in our church. I had, you know, and I had entrepreneurs, I had CEOs, all this kind of stuff, and I went, whoa, our income went up, our tenants, like, more than doubled, and I went, what changed? I did. And this is a lesson to learn because in order for an organization to grow, one of the key growth points in that organization is the leader must grow. And when the leader stops growing, the organization stops growing. And then you become the lid on your department, on your, your organization, on your church, whatever it might be. And so if you stop growing, then, then what you lead is gonna stop growing too. The second growth point is the team. Okay, so the leader has to grow. Now if the leader grows, <laughs> look at this, then, then the organization's gonna grow and when the organization's gonna grow, it's gonna outgrow you as a leader no matter how good a leader you are, you're gonna need a team around you. And so when you grow the team and you have you know, uh, a, you know, staff and, and key volunteers and leading all the rest of it, it's in, as important as it is for the leader to grow, it's as important for the team to grow and to grow their capacity. And here's why. Is again the law of the lid. If a department leader can become the lid, you know, of of their department, if they're gonna, if they don't grow, they'll become the lid of their department. And if their department doesn't grow, that is going to affect the entire organization from growing. For instance, in church, if the kids pastor stops growing their leadership and it puts a lid on their capacity and the number of kids and volunteers and all the rest of that, you know, can can grow. It's going to affect. Can you see this? Like, it's going to affect the church from growing, right? If the worship pastor, if the, you know, whatever your department might be, if it stops growing and, you know, you eventually the organization can outgrow you. One of the first things that I said, and I think in the very first staff meeting that we did here at the church is I, I taught these, these growth points, and I said, this is what we're going to focus on and work on. And I, I said, I challenge, I, I commit that I am going to personally continue to grow and invest in myself and in my own leadership and, and all that and continue to read and, and listen and learn. And, and, and I put together a personal and, and revealed it to them. I said, this is a personal growth plan. And if you don't have a personal growth plan, you're not growing. Right, so we need a personal growth plan, and basically, just ask, you know, give an answer to these questions personally and growing is saying, what am I going to do daily, weekly, monthly, yearly to grow my leadership? Right, so what am I going to do daily? You know, for me, that was listening to podcasts. What am I going to do monthly? Um, you know, or what am I gonna do weekly? For me, that was reading a book, and someone says, Well, you must be a speed reader. No, I read very slow because I like making notes and highlighting. But I had I had to set aside and invest time and invest money to be able to accomplish that goal. Right? So I didn't realize how expensive it would be to, you know, that's fifty-two books. I was like, ooh, it gets costly. Right, and, and expensive in time, too, going, it takes me about four to six hours to read a book. Where am I gonna invest that time in, in my week to be able to accomplish that goal? And so you have to, but what am I gonna do daily? What am I gonna do weekly? What am I gonna do monthly? For me, that was, I was gonna call a pastor, of, of a church larger than my own and pick their brain and kind of get a, and, and get a mentor that would speak into my life. That was my growth. Path. What am I gonna do yearly? Well, yearly we committed to, we're going to go to conferences, we're going to attend some of the largest churches in North America and, and go to that place, to that conference because we wanted to visually see the possibilities of what church could become um, and you know, I wanted to see a full auditorium. I wanted to see a full parking lot. I wanted to see how they moved people in the parking lot into, you know how large churches translated that. I wanted to see the kids' ministry, how did they flow? How do they do that? You know how did how did all this work? I need to visually see, not just to hear the preaching, but to visually see and grow myself that way. And what I said at the staff meeting with our team was I said, I'm going to commit to grow. This is my personal growth plan and I need you as leaders to commit to grow. And if you can grow, if you continue to grow yourself, you'll be you'll always have a place on this team. If you stop growing, we're going to outgrow you. Remember that Heidi? I think yeah. Heidi was there, and Deb was there, like, there's there's a number, Pastor Ralph was there, there's a number of the team, there were 10 in the room that time, and we, and they said that, and some took it seriously, obviously, (laughs) are still here, and some did not, and we outgrew them. The team has to grow, which means, as pastors and leaders, we need to intentionally, regularly grow our team which is why we do these staff meetings, right? These, these all staff meetings and, and do that on a regular basis is because it's an intentional plan to constantly grow and grow our leadership uh, in that way. And so whatever your department is, you're the leader, you gotta have a personal growth plan, but you gotta push your team and regularly grow your team and try not to have a staff meeting or a team meeting without bringing some sort of leadership nugget or some sort of challenge that, to grow themselves. The third growth point is systems. The systems must grow. Okay, so systems don't grow uh, an organization. Um, A system won't grow a church. Leaders do. But systems um, can stop, or poor systems can stop a church from growing or stop an organization from growing, Right? So good leaders develop good systems. And the easiest way to break down what is, you know, what's a system, or what systems are you talking about? Systems easily defined is just what creates movement. Okay? So a healthy system will create movement. So in the business world, you have, you know, whatever's going to create a system, you know, a movement is going, what am I going to do to get more customers? And then that's one system. That's your advertising. That's a system to create movement. And you can tell whether that system's working, whether you're getting new customers. In the church world, you know, we can look at this, and and Rick Warren did a great job in, in his book, Purpose Driven Church, of talking about the concentric circles, and five circles, and saying, you know, what do we do as a church to create movement from the outer circle, which is, you know, the community, the greater community? How do we get the people in our community to move into the crowd to attend our service? How do we get the crowd to then move into, the become the congregation to be more than just visitors, but to regularly attend? How do we get the congregation to become, you know, uh, a part of, you know, the committed, where they're committed and volunteering? And how do we get that? How do we get the committed to become part of the core. Right? And whatever wherever the system stops, you know, moving, wherever the movement stops, that's where you have a faulty system. Right? So, systems won't guarantee that your organization is going to grow. That's what leaders do. But but having a broken system is going to stop movement and your your organization is going to stop growing. If we're if we're not attracting new people into the church, we have a broken system if we're not keeping the new people that come to the service we have a broken system and we, so we began to evaluate as as pastors and as leaders and we went through this and over and over again and we constantly evaluate and reevaluate but we tried to we tried to measure everything we tried to measure how many visitors do we get in a year how many of those visitors are we keeping how, you know, how many of those are getting you know, salvations, and how many of those are, are, are coming back? And we try to, everything that we possibly can do to, to measure how many of our people that are, are now regular attenders, how often do they attend? How many of those regular attenders are now inviting, and how much of those regular attenders are are, you know, that, that are coming? How many of them are, are volunteering and, and giving? And, and where's the commitment? And how many of the, those regular tenders who are volunteering, how many of them are, are now growing and leading? And is there, is there a way that we can measure, you know, the, the, you know, how many are leading and growing or where they're growing and what are we doing? And we should constantly have every single concentric circle should have continual growth. And if we're not, if we're looking and going, well, we have tons of visitors, but nobody's coming back. We need to evaluate our services and what we're doing and what we can do to retain. Why aren't they coming back? And investigate and find out and find a system that's working. And sometimes those those systems will point to problems. But in reality, uh, one of the systems that we eventually had to work on is we need a clear next step, right? We need to make it clear because a lot of times that that people that come into the church, they don't know what's the clear next step. So that's why, like, as simple, here's a system for you. That's why at the end of every single service, we say, attend. Seems obvious. Come back. But we found that if, unless we tell people, you can come back, they don't necessarily come back. Like, it seems simple, and and... and but we're looking and going, hey, come back, and, and different things that we can do. But it's, it's making sure what's the clear next step. And that's why we had the five next steps, like attend, join a connect group, right? Uh, read your Bible, you know, volunteer, invite. Like all these things were just clear next. What's your clear next step? At whatever level of the system you're at, what's the clear next step? That's why we have the table and chairs in our discipleship thing and saying what you you know identify where you are and what's the next clear next step in your discipleship path but that's all about creating movement and making sure we have constant movement so when it comes to you know the business or when it comes to my city care we need to identify you know, that's why we measure. That's why we want reports constantly on this stuff is because we want to see. Reports don't do anything. That's, we don't just have reports so that we can, you know, we can celebrate. That's, that We celebrate, yes, that's great. But we want reports because we want to identify, the reports identify where we might have a stoppage in movement. And that would be a broken system. And then what through the reports, we can just take a look at the reports and going, we are, you know, we have... A problem here we need to address, right? That's the purpose of, of reporting. That's why we, you know, is the church, you know, as a pastor, you're all about numbers. No, we're not about numbers. We're about people. However, numbers are important because numbers show us, because this is, this is what I discovered as a pastor. Um, my emotions lie to me all the time. I don't think that's just a pastor thing, but I, that's My emotions. So, I, this, is, this is what I, I I've felt like. I was like, church today felt awesome and it was packed. And then you get the actual numbers and going, what? It was lower than last week? That's not right. Like, that can't be right. I don't know how many times like, I still say that. That can't be right. That, like, that didn't feel like that. And it did. My feelings lie, right? But then you make decisions based on your emotions as a pastor, as a leader that aren't based on fact, and you'll make faulty decisions. And the truth is, when I get reports and numbers and all these kind of stuff with the systems, one of the things that I I realize is that numbers don't have emotion. Right? So I look at the numbers, they trigger emotion, but they don't have emotion. Right? But they, numbers, I look at this, the numbers don't lie. They don't, they're there, and you can go, over last year, we didn't grow in this area. We have a problem. We have a system we need to fix, and by putting up here and say we we need grow, we need to address this. We can identify it. All right, number four um, is numbers. Okay, which is obvious in business world. That might be your your uh, a customer number. In in church world, this is your attendance number. Now, this is, you know, this is the obvious one. This is the conversation we all have as pastors. You know, is your church growing? And that would mean, is your attendance up from last week or your attendance up from last year? That would indicate if your church is growing. But um, Jesus didn't increase his disciple number. In fact, he decreased it, and yet there was much growth. Right? And you didn't see the explosion or result of that until years later. Right, So numbers, again, aren't, aren't always accurate, but numbers are, they do reflect something. They re, do reflect health or lack of health, and they can't, they're not always a true reflection, but they are an indication of something to investigate. Okay, whether we're healthy or, something, or doing something right or something, or something wrong. The other thing that, when it comes to numbers is pay attention. And this is what you know we'd, we'd graph and, and we'd graph and see where our, our charts, you know, our charts were in attendance. And I did this when I first came to the church here. I asked for uh, detailed reports of the finances, detailed reports of, of the attendance. And I was told, I was told for years, having been in the, in the organization, I've been told for years what the size of this church is. And then I saw the actual number. I had speculation of what the, the size of this church was and, and what it was. And then I saw the actual numbers and I was like, well, wait, that's not the same as what I thought. But the other thing that I discovered, emotions, right? <laughs> the other thing that I discovered is I discovered a very big trend in Lethbridge and in, in this area, a very big trend is that, that this church, over the last 46 years grows from Easter Sunday to May long weekend. I also noticed that this church grows numerically every single year over 46 years. It grows from Thanksgiving to Christmas, right? I also noticed that it dramatically decreases every July and August, especially July. Everyone's camping. That's what I was like, where did everybody go? Oh, they're camping. Right. Right. And, and I also noticed that financially our weakest months are January and February, typically, and that our attendance in January takes a, for some reason, a a big, a big dip. And, And we, those are the low months. And the other months in between kind of hold steady and different things, but this is the trends that I saw. When I identified the seasons, guess what we did? We began to to plan around the seasons. So I knew if we're going to get the most visitors, our biggest Sunday is always going to be Easter Sunday. Guess what? We're going to preach more towards visitors. And there's certain seasons where we will preach more visitor-friendly type messages in those seasons where we expect more visitors. We get way more deep and discipleship-minded and, and, and kind of truth-based and poking at some things in seasons that we know we, our attendance goes down and we've got more of the core here than we have visitors. And we're gonna grow something else in the seasons we don't see the numerical growth. So if you identify the seasons, it, basically what I'm saying is a farmer knows when it's harvest time, it doesn't matter we're going to we're going to put all hands on we're going to work and it's harvest time we're going to focus on that and he knows that at the end of that we can focus on something else right and so one of the things that we said is to our staff we said there are certain seasons where you can't take holidays right and they're like, that's so mean no it's because it's harvest time we need all hands on deck Right? And so there's certain seasons we block out and saying we can't take holidays. And we say, right, this is the season you can take holidays. And this is where, this is where um, that is. But it's all, you can make much better decisions when you understand and, and track and pay attention to, to uh, numbers. We also recognize, that here's a little tidbit, is Valentine's Day, or around Valentine's Day, red, white, and pink day for our kids, is one of our biggest kids attendance of the year. I don't know, for some reason, kids are like, like crazy about dressing up in, like candy. I don't know, red, white, and pink. But every single year, I was like, this is kind of, it doesn't, unless I saw the numbers, it wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't think, hey, Valentine's Day is your big day. Like, really? But every single this year's no exception, all of a sudden the kids attend us. It's like, okay, interesting. So what are we going to do about that? Well, we advertise it. We make a bigger deal of it. We, we dress up in crazy outfits. Like, we do whatever we can, and it works, right? So that's where you kind of know things at. Number five. Okay, the fifth system that needs to grow is finances. Okay, the, the fifth growth, growth point is finances, dollars. Again, money doesn't grow a church or guarantee a church is growing, but the lack of money uh, certainly makes it more difficult. right? So, so finances have to grow. This one, to be honest, I hate the most because as a pastor, as a leader, I was like, I would like somebody else to worry about that, not me. But then I'm realizing as a leader, I, it's, it can become a bottleneck of the church, and because I'm naturally a visionary, I am naturally a spender. (laughs) Okay, which means that I always have a lack of finances. 25 years, is like, because there's always something more to push, buy and go and get better and all the rest of it. There's always something to do that. But realizing, okay, what are we gonna do? and we got to be wise. So we got to handle money with wisdom and learn how to do that. And we also need to, I realized in, when it comes to finances and church and ministry, is that vision trumps need. So what I mean by that is, is if people understand where you're going, they're more, and what you're doing with their money, they're more apt to to give and and to contribute to that. If there's an unclear vision or uncertainty in what this church is all about and where it's going, what it's accomplishing, you're going to have problems with with giving. What I see churches that have problems with giving, the natural tendency is um, for us as pastors is when our, the money goes down and we get into January and February, and you're like <laughs> like you're like you're panicking and going and you know, all the rest of it is like we need to preach on finances and we need to preach on need like we got to preach about the needs and if we you know we we got to do the televangelist thing is if we don't raise this much money by we're going out you know we're going under ah, right? all that kind of stuff and thinking that's going to be motivating it motivates some but it doesn't work and to be honest whenever i preach about money our giving goes down so either i really suck at the, the, the preaching about money or, or it's not the motivator, right? So if it's not the motivator, if people aren't motivated by a need, it, I mean, to be honest, there's so many needs. we can't, People just shut off with another one. Like, there's, there's so many needs out there. And, and if you're un, they'll give to the need they see clear vision for, right? And if they don't see clear vision, they're not going to give to that need. We also do other things I've learned in the years of pastoring is I always tell our guests, uh, you know, I, I attempt to tell our guests every Sunday is feel no obligation. If you're a guest here, feel no obligation to give. And the reason why we do that is because the mentality in, in North America and because of all the scandals in the 80s and, and 90s with all this kind of stuff and mismanagement of money in churches, the, the perception in the world is that is that all the church wants is your money. and And, and that hinders you know, what, you know, what we do and why we do it, which is one of the reasons, another reason why we moved the offering to the end of the service, right? And we moved it to the end of the service because we thought if we, if a visitor comes in here and the, they, we sing a bunch of songs they don't know and kind of do weird karaoke and hands up and surrender, move and like all this kind of stuff they don't know, the unchurched don't know. And then the next thing you do right after that is ask for their money. you they've checked out. Right? So we moved it to the end of the service. And the reason we moved it to the end of the service is that I've noticed that when people go to a restaurant, they don't mind paying for the meal after they've eaten. Right? So you can come and going. this is really good. This ministered to me. I felt something here. This is all good. Then when you talk about money, it's less, you know, they're, they're like, this is worth it. But at the same time, we still tell them, feel no obligation to give. Because we want them just to relax and realize, we, we're, we don't want you here just for your money. Right, you're here for something else. So if you're a guest, feel no obligation to give. Um, it's also a subtle way to say, if you're not a guest, <laughs> please feel obligated. <laughs> right? so, so finances must grow. And again, having a full bank account doesn't guarantee your church is going to grow, but having a lack of finances is going to make it more difficult. Number six is expectations. Okay. Now this one is always the one that people kind of perk their ears up for and go, like, what is, how does that work? What expectations grow? This one is, is one that I think the most easiest way to describe this is, is a story in the Bible. And it's interesting to me, it's a fascinating story, but the story of when Jesus visited his hometown, and it says that he could not do miracles there, except for heal a few sick, which I was like, he still did but anyway, but he could not do miracles there. And I thought, the, the reason, it's odd, because this is Jesus, God in a bot. like this is, this is God himself, and he could not do miracles. You know, God could not do miracles, why? Because the expectation level of the people in his hometown was so low. The expectation they saw this is Jesus. Isn't this Mary's son? That's what it says in the scripture. Isn't this Mary's son? Like, isn't this the Jesus we grew up with? Isn't this the you know, you know, the friend we went to school with? You know, what's what's the big deal? Why is everyone making a big deal about him? It's just Jesus. And if we get this familiarity, oftentimes, and this spirit of familiarity. What happens is it kills the expectation level. And what I've discovered, and this is what I discovered from that story, and I've discovered throughout the Scriptures, and I discovered through years of of pastoring, is that the expectation level in the church determines the level of anointing. Right? If people, anybody, and I also noticed this because I was a worship leader before uh, pastoring, and I noticed I would play on a worship team or I'd lead worship at a conference. And I would, you know, and at a conference, the first chord hits and everybody's like. Ah. Like they're full on worship and crying and everybody's into worship. It's amazing. And you're like, as a worship leader going, I, I was so good. Like, like the people there. And then you take the same set and you take the same set the next day in church. And you hit the first chord expecting the same result. And it's just like. I was like, well, what changed? The band didn't change. Like, nothing changed. The only thing that changed is you go to a conference. You probably paid to get there. You, you made effort to be there. You go to that conference because you went with high expectations. That's the only thing that's different. My wife tells me all the time, like, she says, you preach better at conferences. And I was like, I don't think I do, but I think I it, it, probably do because it pulls out of the expectation levels higher because they've invited me to come and speak for some reason, the expectation level in the crowd is higher, and therefore it pulls, pulls more out of you. There's a greater anointing in that. And when you come, you, when you come to, you know, to Sunday morning and, and church, and everyone's like, oh, it's just Kelly again. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> but I mean, and, or if they come to church and they're like, oh, it's just, it's just Tim leading worship again. It's just, oh, I know this song. Or oh, this, 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 oh, yeah. We know what the routine is gonna be. What happens is is it doesn't have the same impact. And so if your expectation level is low, which is one of the reasons why we try to throw curveballs every once in a while and we try to get creative and why we do special songs and why we do you know in, you know humor and why we all these different things it's kind of you know change graphics and take change looks and w- whatever it might be is to kind of is all of that and going are you trying to be the coolest church no all we're trying to do is grow our expectation level if we can create an unexpected or expectation or create an environment where people come hungry and expectant, they're gonna get more out of it. Gonna, it's gonna pull more anointing with it. So you have to grow your expectation level, but they encourage you to be creative, or use testimonies, or celebrate your wins, or you be positive and anticipate. One of the reasons why you do testimonies is because, hey, it's God, do it again. Right, their expectations, if God did that for them, he could maybe do that for me, and it pulls on the expectations. Right, um, number seven is the facilities must grow. Okay, which is, I don't know, it's, it's like, that's not a sexy one, but <laughs> facilities, what, the facilities got to grow? But here, here's something, just hear me out. Again, having a big building, and there's a lot of empty, beautiful buildings. And there's also a lot of really vibrant, growing churches, not in buildings, setting up and tearing down every week. It'd be nice if we could marry those two together. But hey. Um, But having a big building doesn't grow a church. However, having limited facilities limits growth. Right? And it does create a cap. And what I've discovered is that the 80% rule is, is true, is that if you reach 80% capacity in anyone, and everyone thinks that's just the auditorium for a church, if you reach 80% capacity in your auditorium, you're going to stop growing. That's not just about the auditorium. That's about every area where people will gather. The moment it feels crowded or overloaded, it stops people from coming back. Let me, and if you're going, well, that's not true. Pastors love, listen to me, pastors love every seat full. But every seat full is not loved by everybody in the auditorium. And uh, let me put it, when you go to a movie theater, you're praying. Is that not true? Right? I've gone to a movie. I, I went to a movie once, and there was like me and three other people. And the three other people sat right beside me. I'm like, what are you like? Yeah, oh, come on. But I mean, so in church, we, once we get to 80% capacity, you're going to see that all of a sudden you're, you're going to see a lid, which is why we went to multiple services here in Lethbridge before our auditorium was 80% full because our kids' wing was full. And we went, our kids' wing is full. We had classrooms that were too full and we're like, we got to go to multiple services because that became the cap. And the church start, didn't grow as much year to year. We just looked at it and said, what's going on? What's the problem? And we, we looked at, evaluated all these things and said, what is the problem? What's not, is the leaders growing? Is the team growing? What's the weak? Is the systems wrong? What's going on? And we ended up coming down to, our problem is we have our, our kids wing, And so we had to open up and open up other parts of the, uh, the building for kids and expand it. And we went to multiple services before we needed to in this room. And guess what? The church grew. Right? So you gotta pay attention to your uh, facilities. Number eight, the final one is culture. Okay, the culture must grow. Culture trumps vision. You've heard it said, me say it a thousand times, but culture trumps vision. What I mean by that, and the best example I can give you, is every church pretty much in the Western world on the planet has some form of signage out front that says, everyone welcome. They just word it differently and all the rest of it. Everyone says, everyone welcome. The truth is, is the behavior that happens in the, the church, from the stage, in the auditorium, in the lobby, that, that behavior will trump what the sign says. The vision might be everybody welcome, but if everybody is gathered in cliques and nobody welcomes a newcomer and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't matter what the sign says. It doesn't matter what the vision is. It doesn't matter what's preached from the pulpit. What matters is the culture, the behavior. And so what culture is easily defined is culture is basically just about behavior. And if, the, if you can realize, recognize at some point saying this can become, again, a real hindrance to growth. And many pastors and leaders are going, they're great preachers. Some of the best preachers on the planet don't have big churches. They're going, what's the problem? It's, it's not the preaching. They got great music. What's the problem? It's not the music. What's the problem? It's not the kids ministry. What's the problem is, is the culture. And the culture, you have to work the culture. And, and the sad news is it's, you can change vision in a day. It takes about what I've learned about three years to shift culture or to change behaviors. Um, and depending, the larger the organization, the longer it's going to take. And so you got it. You have to be able to address culture, behaviors. It took about three years of me being here in Lethbridge before I would advertise you know, outside of these walls that, you know, come to our church. I refused to do anything on the water tower, refused to do anything social media-wise. I said, no, we're not gonna advertise. It's just by word of mouth, we're not gonna advertise because I didn't know, I knew the vision that I had, but I was like the culture. I didn't know the behavior that would happen in here. If we were gonna do no perfect people and shout no perfect people and do all that kind of stuff with the people in here. Behave that way. And I kept on hearing stories of people, you know, costing somebody in the parking lot or in the lobby or different things in the hallway. And I was like, no, we're not ready yet. And we keep preaching and we keep preaching and we change the culture and change the behavior. And and the stronger the culture, you're gonna attract the people you want and you're gonna repel the people you want. (laughs) Some people are a blessing when they come and some people are a blessing when they go. No amens in that one, come on. <laughs> right, because it's a boat. We love everybody, but not everybody fits within our culture, and that's okay. Because who we're trying to reach will fit in our culture. Right, and you have to have a clear vision, but your culture has to matter. It, the easiest way to correct culture is, I mean, you have to teach, it. you have to be intentional about it. It happens by design or by default culture, you know, it happens by design or by default. It happens by, you know, you can see there's a difference in culture, in behavior at Starbucks versus at Tim Hortons. Like there's a different culture. And you can tell that that behavior at each one determines the clientele. If I, I just put those two out there or McDonald's and the keg, like there's a big difference in behavior. And there's a big difference in the clientele that are there as a result of the culture, the behavior that goes on in, in, you know, those, those places. But as a church the easiest way to correct culture is just to say it you know it's the way we do things around here that's what culture is what's the way we do things around here or you can correct it by saying that's not the way we do things around here all right and that's that's a simple way to address culture all right so with these eight what to do with these eight no and this is this works not just for as the lead pastor but this works for every one of our departments you're the leader that's your department you have a team it might be volunteers, it might whatever, but you have a team, you have systems, you have all all these things, numbers, tracking, measuring, right? You have finances that you're responsible for, and income, and all the rest of it. You have expectations. What's the expectation level of people coming in? You have facilities that you're using or working with, and you have to be aware of that. You have you know culture in your department. All all these things matter. Everything, every single one of these things matter. So what do you do as a as a leader? What you do is you take these eight things, and number one is you identify your weakest link. And you say, okay, in this, in these eight, if I put these eight on a scale, which one of these eight is our weakest link? Or which one of these is the cap right now, or potentially the cap, or that we could get better at in this, in this season? Now, what, what I've done as a pastor is every single summer when our attendance goes down, I evaluate these things. What's our weakest link? And I attack that. Right? Other than numbers, because that's not going to work. But in that season, I'll say, so in the summer, it's just often the time that I go away uh, and and think and, and work on systems. And we, we attack systems, or we do conferences, and I grow myself. Or that that's the time where I tend to do that. I don't go to conferences around Easter anymore, or around Christmas anymore. I don't do that. There's certain, I, just, I don't do that. I look for it in seasons where... Where, where numbers aren't, all the rest. And I find the weakest link and saying, okay, we're going to identify this. And so talk as a team. You know, what do you guys think is our, our weakest link and identify that? And then f- here's what I encourage if you look at them going, well, all of them, don't. What's the weakest one? Focus on one at a time, right? And you work it until it's the weakest link and you work it until it comes up and it's up here and then it reveals what the next one is. And then you work that one until it comes up here. And you'll find that you know, constantly you're working and evaluating that. Secondly, uh, identify your organizational seasons and plan accordingly. Okay, So start by identifying your natural numerical growth seasons and focus on that. So say, okay, Easter, we're going to focus on numbers. That's going to be your focus. We're not focusing and fixing around Easter or leading up to Easter. We're gonna focus on our numbers. That means we're gonna focus on our advertising. That means we're gonna focus on our messages and how we're gonna communicate. That means that we're gonna do whatever we possibly can to effectively set the table for guests as a church, right? So, so when you have guests in your home, you put out the best china, you clean up, you do all these kind of stuff, you have guests in your home, you're, everything's organized, even if it's stuck in a back closet and jam the door, st- like you're gonna do whatever you possibly can to set the table for guests and, and put out your best foot forward. In those seasons when you're expecting more guests, set the table for guests and focus on that. And start by identifying, just like I, I said we did here, but identify your numerical growth seasons, and focus on that. Then identify your weak numerical growth season And focus then on the weakest link, okay? In that season, okay, and then constantly keep these eight in front of you and saying, "I'm working one at a time." And we're gonna, what are we gonna do to evaluate each one at a time and bring it up to a a level? And I think you'll find that these eight growth points are universal across every church, every business, all the rest of it. And if you focus on this and grow more than just numbers and hope that people are going to attend or all these things. If we grow ourselves, we're going to attract more people. Like I said, in, I did in Canmore. If we grow our team, it's going to grow. If we grow our systems, things, things begin to happen and unlock and begin to grow. Thank you for listening to Parallel Leaders Podcast. If you are looking for additional resources, tools, and conversations to move your organization forward and capture the hearts of your community, check out our website at parallelleaders.com. Don't forget to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parallel Leaders. See you next time.